Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you once again to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So Christmas is only three weeks away. We have pageant rehearsal after church this morning. That's how you know it's getting real. Uh, Christmas is coming up fast, even though this year we actually have the longest Advent possible. Christmas actually falls on a Sunday this year. And yes, of course, we will have church 930 Sunday morning right here in this room. Christmas falls on a Sunday. So the fourth Sunday of Advent is a full seven days before Christmas. That makes Advent as long as it can be, the full four weeks. Last week, Jacob, in his sermon on Romans 13 and Matthew 24, used the beautiful image of the light of dawn beginning to encroach on and overcome the darkness of night as a picture of what's happening in Advent. This world is a dark place, he reminded us, but the light of Christ is on its way. Isaiah uses a similar image when he says that the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, he says, on them has light shone. Advent, preceding Christmas and the incarnation of Jesus, as it does, is an illustration of this progression of the light of life overcoming the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. We wait, and the light comes nearer and nearer, rising higher and higher on the horizon. Now, Isaiah draws that particular picture of light and dark in his ninth chapter, Isaiah chapter 9. The reading that we have assigned to us this morning is from Isaiah chapter 2, before that, but it's a vision of what life looks like after the light's victory. Isaiah sees the mountain of the Lord's house established as the highest of the mountains. He sees the people calling each other to go up this mountain so that God can teach them his ways. They want to be obedient to the Lord, and they're excited to learn how to do that. They're streaming up the mountain, Isaiah sees. They're seeking instruction from God. And the instruction works, too. They get it. They learn because it results in this wonderful, peaceful life that Isaiah sees. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What a vision of a life lived in the light. Implements of war have become instruments of peaceful farming 
And even the judgment of the Lord, so often described in the Old Testament as terrifying, with language of wrath and destruction, even that judgment of God seems to be welcome. What a glorious future this will be for God's people. But, look around you. Clearly this is not what life is like yet. Swords are not yet beaten into plowshares. This, Isaiah says, is what life in the light looks like. But life here, in this place, looks different. It looks, in fact, more like life back in Isaiah chapter 1. Right? So we, we started a little bit in Isaiah 9 with his, the people who walked in darkness have seen light. We went back to chapter 2 for a description of what life in the light is like. Now I want to take you back a little further to Isaiah chapter 1 in which he has quite a different vision. He doesn't here see an obedient nation streaming up God's mountain. He sees the exact opposite. He sees a sinful nation running away. For instance, verse 3. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And then verses 5 and 6, spoken to rebellious Israel. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened. With oil, Isaiah has a dire diagnosis for God's people. They are acting like they don't even know God. They're running away from him. And why? He says that they're sick, desperately sick. And it's a, a profound sickness that has infected the whole body. He says from the sole of the foot to the head. And this isn't just some Old Testament doom and gloom pronouncement either. It sounds a lot like Paul writing to the Romans, doesn't it? No one is righteous, Paul says. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Lest you think he's finished. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. These are two twin, sobering diagnoses of the human condition. Using the whole body... As an illustration, people are sinful head to foot. That's Isaiah. The whole nation is sinful. Every member. That's Paul. In other words, this people walks in darkness. They live in a land of deep darkness. Or let's bring it closer to home. We walk in darkness. 
We live in a land of deep darkness. But we have this promise that things are not going to stay this way. This is what Isaiah 2 is all about, and that is the Advent promise too. Isaiah sees a future, even for this sinful and rebellious people, and he gets there in our reading assigned for this morning. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, a reading assigned intentionally for Advent. As the candles get more and more and we get closer and closer to that day when Christ will come, this is what Isaiah says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. The house of Jacob, the people of Israel then, the church now, has seen a great light. On them, light has shone. But into a beautiful prophecy like this, it seems that we must ask a question. How do we get from here to there? From darkness to light? How can we move from a place where Isaiah looks at the people and sees that they deserve God's judgment? Remember, he rhetorically asks why they will be struck down and answers because their whole body is sick with sin. How do we get from a people worthy of God's judgment, a people running away from God, to a people streaming up God's mountain, looking for the law of the Lord so that it can instruct them? This is a profound shift from running down a mountain terrified to streaming up a mountain joyful. Now, Isaiah's first strategy I think is one that we would all employ is to offer some good practical advice. He tells the people to get their act together. Stop being so disobedient. This is Isaiah chapter one, verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So there you have it, right? That's the route from here to there. Make yourselves clean. Fix yourselves up. And that's John the Baptist's strategy too, isn't it? From our reading from Luke. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. But as it turns out, that's not enough. We need more than a list of things to do, even though these are the right things. We should do good. We should do justice. 
correct oppression and all the rest. We should do these things and all the things that God has called us to do. But we need more. We need grace and mercy. We need the Advent promise that John the Baptist ultimately pointed to. Jesus Christ, a Savior. John looked up from the river and said, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Because that sin, understatement of the year, that sin is a problem, right? We're not as sinners inclined to be obedient. We don't tend to wash ourselves up, to clean up our act, to get ourselves in order. We are inclined to rebel. We don't want to climb to God. We'd rather run away. To borrow the language of Paul, we're not doing the things we ought to do, and we're still doing the things that we hate. Remember that Isaiah's diagnosis is bone deep. The whole head is sick, he says. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. The philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote that asking a sinner to save himself is just like asking a man with broken legs to run a marathon. The exhortation may be moving and the desire may exist, but the capability just isn't there. We... You and I are men with broken legs. We need to somehow get from Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 2, from darkness to light, but we're not going to be able to do it on our own. The exhortation to fix ourselves isn't going to be enough. We need grace and mercy. We need to be made new. And so right after his practical advice for a cleaned up life, Isaiah gives us the enabling word, the thing that makes it all possible. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is how we get from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 2. This is how we get from the dark to the light and from fear to faith. The good news about the forgiveness of sins, grace and mercy. And notice that this is a promise. How do we get from the law finding us guilty like it did when Isaiah considered his people to joyfully streaming up the mountain of the Lord, looking forward to the proclamation of the law, to be taught by it? In other words, how does a commandment go from a judgment to a promise? Here is the amazing truth, the good news. We don't go from here to there. God Almighty comes from there 
to hear. And that is what Advent is all about. God, Almighty God, Creator of the universe, is preparing in Christ Jesus, in the Incarnation, to come here for us. You see, the real problem that the people of Israel were having wasn't their bad behavior, though it was bad. Our fundamental problem isn't our bad behavior either, though, again, it is bad. The real problem was and is lack of faith, unbelief. Remember from Isaiah 1, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Even the ox and the donkey know their owner. We don't. Or rather, we forget. And so we need to be reminded week by week, day by day, hour by hour. Why is it that we can climb the mountain of the Lord without fear? How is it that we can hear his instruction, his law, the very reflection of his holiness, not as a judgment, but as a promise of a glorious future? What would motivate us to want to climb at all? It is the simple announcement that a Savior has come. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. A simple announcement that we believe to be true. An announcement that actually generates faith. Jesus bled and died to wash you clean. His blood has made you right with God forever. And the good news of our undeserved salvation sends us streaming up God's mountain, excited now to receive his teaching. In a moment, as we begin our communion service, we're going to acknowledge this transition in our Advent preface. You'll hear it. We are made heirs in Christ of everlasting life, that when he shall come again in power and great glory to judge the world, we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. God is coming in Christ to judge the world, but we won't be afraid. We will rejoice. The mountain of God's teaching no longer makes us afraid. In faith, faith that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, that faith, in that faith, we can rejoice. In Revelation chapter 7, John ties this pure white in place of the red scarlet, directly to Jesus Christ. I looked, John says, and behold, a multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne 
and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then somebody asks John, Who are these people robed in white? And John says, You know who they are. And yes, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. This life in a land of deep darkness. On them, light has shone. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so we are sinners made clean by Jesus' blood. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be in Christ white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be in Christ like wool. Remember how our reading from Isaiah ended. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Surely this gospel in Christ's blood is the Lord's brightest light. The light that inspires a teeming heavenly throng to sing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And so this Advent and every day, let us, you and I, walk in this light of the Lord singing the good news about the Lamb of God come to earth to wash your sins away. Amen.